Well, we find ourselves in a unique time of the year with Christmas is behind us and the new year uh, is just ahead of us. And so with this unique setting, I want to use today to talk about uh, two different things. Uh, first, our goals. And then secondly, uh, God's grace. Our goals and God's grace. And I know that these two subjects, they may seem uh, unrelated at first, but what we will see is that they both bring to us a, a focus and a conversation about second chances. And it'll bring to focus this idea that we don't have to be who we've always been. We don't have to be who we's, who we've always been. And so let's first talk about goals, uh, and they can be goals at any time of the year, but obviously with the turning of a calendar just ahead of us, uh, goals around this season are appropriately titled New Year's Resolutions, New Year's Resolutions. And this week I was doing some research to see what kind of resolutions uh, people are typically setting uh, this time of year. And I found a survey that is done every year. And this survey uh, goes around and talks to 2,000 people and to see what, is on, what their New Year's resolutions are. And here is, uh, here's that list. Number 10, spend time with family and friends. 13% of the people surveyed had this on their list. And I imagine that that has gone up quite a bit after the year we've had. Number nine, drink less alcohol. Number eight, find another job, which I suppose some people may just drink less alcohol if they find another job. Uh, number seven, read more. 17% of people uh, want to read more. Six, quit smoking. Five, learn a new skill and hobby. Four, save more and spend less. Three, lose weight. Two, exercise more. 65% of people want to exercise more. And the number one thing that, that most people have on their list, 71% of people go into the new year wanting to diet or eat healthier. Diet or eat healthier. And as I looked across this list this week, I thought those are all excellent goals, I think, that people want to make uh, to become a better version of themselves than maybe they were years prior. However, statistics also tell us that 80% of people who make New Year's resolutions will drop them by February. 80% of people who, who set off this new year, like, new year, new me, February's like, <laughs> no, it's, no, it's same you, same you, new year. Even, in fact, up until this week, I was unaware that there's actually something called National Quitters Day. A National Quitters Day. Uh, and that is this upcoming year. It's January 17th, 2021. It's National Quitters Day because based on prior data, that is the date when it's expected that most people will give up on their goals. January 17th. Last year is January 19th, so we're not getting any better. Uh, but last year alone, only 8% of people achieved the goals that they set out for themselves. Only 8% of people achieved the goal that they set out for themselves. And that's sad. Um, that's heartbreaking. Uh, some people, it's a broken record over and over each year. They set this goal, and each year they just give up on it. They don't attain it. And but I think for people like you and me, people who have Jesus in their lives, or people who are at least here because we're interested in having Jesus in our lives, uh, we need to set our goals, not just for this year, but the goals we may have for a couple years, or the goal we have for our life, for us, for our family. We have to set our goals uh, with a higher motivation, a higher motivation. And as I pondered that list we just went through and some of the other goals uh, that we can set really any time of year, I felt... That the reason that a lot of people fail to achieve their goals is because their inspiration for achieving is just not aligned properly. It's kind of out of sorts. But as spiritual beings, it's vital that our goals 
have a spiritual motive behind it. It's spiritual beings. It's important that our goals have a, a godly motive. And so what I'd like to do in the first part of this teaching is to align whatever goals you have, whatever goals your family has, or maybe even the goals you're pondering. I'd like to align that over the truth of what we read in scripture. So that way we can know that our goals that we have for this year or for our life are actually rooted in spiritual truth and nothing else. Now, the area of scripture that we're going to be diving into today is in Matthew's gospel, which is the words and account of Jesus' life through Matthew's eyes. And Matthew was someone who was one of the first followers of Jesus. It wasn't secondhand knowledge that he wrote his gospel with. He actually spent a significant time uh, physically with Jesus. And Matthew tells us of a time in Jesus' ministry when this particular group of religious teachers were, as always, they're trying to catch Jesus in a trap. They're trying to ask him questions that really had no good answer. These men routinely, as you read about Jesus' life in the, in the four Gospels we have, you see they constantly try to put Jesus between a rock and a hard place. Uh, but as we, we often see, Jesus' Father made the rock and made the hard place. And so Jesus always answered all of these difficult questions with absolutely incredible, incredible wisdom. And so, so one day Jesus is going about his ministry and one of these fellows came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses and the law of Moses for us, that would be our biblical books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy kind of retells uh, those stories. And uh, these are books that the religious folks in Jesus' day would have studied vigorously. And so they want to ask Jesus, out of all of the law, which is the most important commandment? And once again, this question wasn't asked with any sort of humility. These men are actually looking for a credible answer. They're asking Jesus a tricky question because they're asking Jesus to pull out one of the 613 laws that they all had to follow at this point in time and tell him which is the most important. It's a, it's a lose-lose, it seems, for Jesus. Now, legal experts at, at, such, uh, at a time of this, they would spend just a ridiculous amount of time getting together. and They'd actually, it's kind of like the first debate party. Uh, religious leaders would literally gather in homes, gather in the temple, and they'd go through all 613 laws and they would try to discuss like, well, which one's weightier and which one's lighter? And so these experts are going to Jesus with this question and they're just hoping to discredit him and that's it. And Jesus' response to what they think is such a difficult question is a popular one. It's one we probably heard before, but today I want to talk about how this response from Jesus should really shape the goals that we have for our life. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second, Jesus says, is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what is the most important thing to Jesus for this life that you and I are living? We're all living very different lives, but no matter what life we're living, the most important thing to Jesus for your life is that you love God and love others, period. Jesus could have had all kinds of, of important priorities for our life, but the most important priority for Jesus in this life that we are living is that we love God with all that we are and that we actually look at other people and we love them as we love ourselves. So what does this have to do with the first part of our teaching, which is about our goals? Well, quite honestly, we have to ask ourselves this difficult question. Do the goals we have for our life align with Jesus' goal? for our life. And that can be your New Year's resolution. That can be your three to five year plan. That can be the plan you have for your family or whatever it is. It, it can be any type of goal. But when you look at the goals you have for your life, does that align 
with this goal that Jesus has for your life? Is the motivation of our goals to actually love God better and love others as we love ourselves? That's a question we have to pose to ourselves. And so let's break that down a little bit and start with this consideration of how we can love God with all that we are. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Paul is rather bluntly showing us that nothing is off limits to God. We think this is our body, but, but this body is not our own. If we've given our life to Jesus Christ, if we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior, then your body is a temple of his spirit, a temple of God's spirit. And, and Paul is saying, you need to treat it as such. You should honor God with your bodies. Nothing is off limits to God. So, for example, let's say that if, if your goal this year is, is to, let's say, drink less alcohol and, and maybe stop smoking or insert any other bad habit, that's, that's great. I absolutely think you should do that. But I believe that you will have a greater motivation to, to drink less alcohol, stop smoking, or to kick that bad habit if you're trying to do so because you want to treat your body like God's temple. You want to treat your body like this is God's dwelling place. You want to, to drink less or, or, or stop smoking or, or kick that bad habit because that is a way for you to display your love of God more. We can say the same thing about losing weight, exercising, or dieting. That was the top three on everyone's list that, uh, that, that was surveyed. We can say the same thing about that. It's one thing to want to lose weight. It's one thing to want to exercise. It's one thing to want to diet because you're trying to get to that certain number on the scale or you want to look more like that picture you used to back in high school or you want to get that bikini bod ready for the summer. But the chances are that most of us have tried those goals and we've failed them. Only 8% of people actually achieve their goal. We've, we've failed them because... It's just our motivation coupled with that goal. I'd, I've tried church family, for, very transparent, for many years to get a bikini bod. What you see is what you get. I will run people off Hammerman Beach like this, right? It's just, it's not going to work. And a lot of us have gone down that route of my strength, my goal, but we don't achieve it. But, but what if the inspiration for better health wasn't for the sake of anything else, but loving God through what he has given us? Even if we don't reach a specific number, image, or, or pant size, waist size, whatever it is we have in mind, what if this year, what if with your life, you just loved God with your health? You were worshiping God with your health just to display that you love him so much. And our goal could be to spend less and save more money, pay off debt, but how much more would you actually take seriously pursuing that goal if, if your motivation wasn't just for financial freedom in and of itself, but if your goal and your motivation, your inspiration was just to live with a greater generosity? Because generosity is a characteristic that is vastly important to God. And so what if our financial goals were motivated by a love for God and we wanted to have some flexibility to, to not just make our kingdom greater, but to make his great in this world? A lot of people, as we're turning the calendar, their focus, their goal is to get out of debt. And it's usually just for the sake of some kind of credit score. But what if our goal was to, to love God better with our mind? And that's why we wanted to get out of debt. We, we didn't want to have this anxiety. We were, what if our goal was to stop bowing to credit card companies and lenders and, and actually bow wholeheartedly to God? 
As we talk about loving God with our goals, one thing I would I'd beg you to consider is, is how can your goals move you to love God more deeply? Whether it's a New Year's resolution, whether it's a, a goal for you and your spouse or you and your kids, you and your family, whatever it is, how can those goals that you have move you to love God more deeply? One of the most important things for your life, according to Jesus' words. How can your goals help you to, to love God more wholeheartedly than you've ever done before? You see, a lot of people just have different goals for their life, and they set them for various reasons. But as people of faith, we are called to be different, which means that our focus has to be different, which means our priorities have to be different, which means, yes, our goals must be different. And I think that what we'll come to find out is that as we realign the purpose of our, our, our goals to love God more deeply, we're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit to achieve them. And we're going to finally, yes, be able to love God more deeply. Yes, we're also going to be able to love others more intentionally. So let's take a few minutes to talk about what it looks like to, to love others more intentionally this year. And Jesus specifically said, said this. He didn't just say, love God and love others. He said, love God with all that you are. And then he says, love others. And he doesn't stop there, but he says, I want you to love others as we love ourselves. Love others as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And for a lot of us, the reason we struggle so bad at loving others is because we have no love and no respect for ourselves whatsoever. That is why we just can't love people. That's why we can't thrive in friendships, relationships, because we don't have any love for ourselves. So how can we love others as we love ourselves? We'd be doing a bad job of it. Now, coming from someone who it feels like I'm spending like a lifetime trying to recover from this problem, I want you to know some loving but but blunt truth. And that is, you will never have within you the full capability to love others as God has designed you to love them if you are endlessly searching for your worth, your value, and your love. You will never have within you the full capability to love other people as God has designed you to love if you are endlessly searching, looking anywhere and everywhere to find worth, to find value, and to find love. Now, certainly you can be loving at times, we can all be loving at times, but you will not have a life defined by loving others if you are constantly drawing from this empty well. And if you find yourself in this boat, I, I, hurt, I hurt for you. I really do. I get it. And I cannot strongly urge you enough to take some time this year and to find a love for yourself. Find a love for yourself. Because you cannot love other people as you love yourself if you cannot stand the person in the mirror. According to Jesus, it just doesn't work that way. So take some time this year to find some love for yourself. Not because you're awesome, even though God created you that way, but, but find some love for yourself simply and solely because of how much God actually loves you just as you are right now. First John tells us, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. No matter what you think of yourself, and I talk to so many people who just feel so low about themselves, no matter what you think about yourself, you were created lovely. And as such, God loves you enough to let his son be a sacrifice for you. 
I want to be clear that as we talk about loving ourselves, so we can actually be able to love other people well, it doesn't mean that we should ever even tread becoming close to arrogant or, or boastful or conceited. But I truly believe the more time that we spend focusing on God's great love for us and the actions that prove that, the actions that back up that truth that God loves us, the more we do that, the more that we are going to find our value, our worth, and our self-respect. And once we find those things in God, we will be able to love with the capability that he has designed us to do. And so if you find yourself here, you just can't stand yourself, you have all these insecurities, and you just don't like the person in the mirror, if you're in this boat, please... Before you do anything else this year, take some time to prioritize a healthy love for yourself. Not for anything boastful, but solely because of God's great love for you. Well, sticking in 1 John regarding actually loving others, John tells us, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. According to this text, the single most powerful way that we can show the world how much we love God is by how much we choose to love people. How much we choose to love people that we agree with, that's easy. Some people who are kind of like us, that's still a little easy. And, And even through the people that we choose to love who we have nothing in common with. You see, loving God and loving people... Two very straightforward, intertwined statements that can solidify your entire purpose for living in this world. And if you really love God, you will display a love for others, period. And our goals for our life, our goals for the year should reflect this priority to love God and love others. So, so maybe this is what loving others looks like in your life. Maybe as, as you look at your goals, you say, now how can I get other people involved in this, Right? For me personally, I was really convicted this week. I, I asked the staff, hey, what's your New Year's resolution? What's your goal for the year? And as I looked at mine, mine weren't bad. No one, I don't think anyone would look at them and say, oh, those are bad. But if you look at it, mine were all about me, what I can achieve this year, what I can do this year. And I felt convicted this week in diving into this teaching because I realized, no, I can't. My goal cannot be all about me. It has to be about other people. I have to find a way to prioritize others if one of the goals for, for, for my life, according to Jesus, is to love others. So, see, so yeah, maybe you have financial goals for you and your family this year. Maybe you as an individual, you want to get out of debt, but, but maybe look at it a little differently and say, I want to get out of debt because it'll allow me to worship God better, but I'll have some financial flexibility to really love other people. When I come across a need, I know I'll have some freedom to meet it. Or maybe your goal is all about like diet and exercise, this, that, and the other. And, and maybe it's these goals you want to reach, but what if you live with this awareness that other people have physical goals as well? What if you can just text them and encourage them and love them? Help them pursue their goal. What if you just went up to somebody that you love and care about in your life and just asked them this question? If you just said, hey, what can I help you achieve this year? And whatever they say, be prepared to, to be that heart behind it. It's so important that as we look at our goals, we ask ourselves, how can they move us to love others more intentionally? Look at your goals that you have for your family, yourself, your year, whatever it is, and just ask yourself those two questions. How can my goals help me to love God more deeply? And how can my goals allow me to love people more intentionally? Because loving God and loving others as people of faith, that has to be our top priority. It has to be our goal.
Now, the top of our teaching, I mentioned that this is going to be a teaching about two different subjects. One being our goals, which we've covered, and the other is, is God's grace. Uh, this teaching is just really all about second chances. And some of us here today are watching online right now. We're not even thinking of setting goals because we need something else. We need a, a, a significant dose and reminder of God's grace in our life because we feel like we've really fumbled the ball. Some of us need to remember and believe to our core that, that you don't have to go into this next year being the same person you've always been. You don't have to go into this next year being the exact same person you've been because you have God and you have his grace and God and his grace will always allow us to chart forward new paths in life. In my time as a pastor and counselor, I've Anytime I sit down and I talk with people who aren't really happy with where they've steered their life, whether there's a lot of guilt, whether there's a lot of shame, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, you name it, there, there's a, a popular theme, and a lot of people don't think they deserve second chances. And that breaks my heart when people know that it could be different, but they just feel like they don't deserve second chances. They don't deserve a different shot at life. And, and I want to tell you that you don't get to decide that. You don't get to decide if you get a second chance. God does. And he deems you worthy of it. As you want a second chance in certain aspects of your life, maybe it's because of faults you have or insecurities or the ways you've carried shame and guilt because of what you've done, or maybe it's just secretly, and you're wondering, like, do I deserve a second chance? Yes, you do, and God has ensured that. You don't get to decide if you are worthy of a second chance and let me tell you, other flawed people with their opinions about you, they don't get to decide if you get a second chance either. You don't get to decide your worth. Other people don't. You don't get to decide your value. Other people don't. You don't get to decide whether you're, you're lovely. God gets to decide all that. And he gives you his grace and he gives you his love all of the time. He has done everything to give you a second chance, a third chance, and a fourth chance, and so on and so forth. Speaking on grace, the book of Titus tells us, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. He's talking about the grace of God has been displayed through Jesus. He says, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He, Jesus, gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, people totally committed to doing good deeds. You see, Jesus gave his life. We received God's grace so we can have the chance to live differently, so we can have the chance to change. Jesus has ensured that you don't have to be who you've always been. Too many times, churches, Christians, pastors, we, we, we talk about grace like it's this lofty theological idea that's reserved for the end of our life when we find out if we're taking the elevator up or down. That's not all grace is reserved for. Grace meets us in the everyday messes of our lives as well. It meets us right now with whatever we're dealing with. It meets us right here as we think about that thing we need a second chance from. Author and pastor Max Lucado once said, grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. When grace happens, we receive not a nice compliment from God, but a new heart. Grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power 
to pull it off. And so let me ask you, where do you need to accept God's grace? Like I mentioned, it could be about stuff that just thoughts you have that no one else would guess. It could be stuff going on in your life that is just so dark, you're so afraid it's going to become, that this, this valley you're in is going to become a characteristic of your life and you don't want to let people down like that. It could be something very well known by the people you're sitting with, the people close to you. But you don't have to be who you've always been. So, so where do you need to accept God's grace? Even if you feel like you don't deserve it, well, Jesus died so you could have it. But where do you need God's grace? Not out of this get out of hell free card, not because you want to avoid consequences, but what part of your life do you need to ask God for forgiveness and start living differently? Where in your life do you need his transforming grace? What part of your life do you need just to rise from the ashes, shake off the dust, step out of darkness, and to start living a more faith-centered life? Where do you need God's grace? Because I wholeheartedly believe that the, the forgiving and empowering grace of Jesus Christ is what will lead you to a new life. And the forgiving and empowering grace of Jesus Christ is the only thing that will lead you to a new life. Because the grace of Christ, it convicts you, it corrects you, it points out where you are, but it gives you the hope and the capability to actually change your life. You don't have to be who you've always been. It reminds me of a story the, the, the late world-known Pastor Billy Graham told as he was said he was driving through a small town and he was on his way uh, to preach in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people. And he was in a rush, he was running late and he got pulled over by a police officer and this famous pastor was speeding into town and charged as such. So Graham admitted his guilt to the police officer, but the officer said, hey, if you are speeding by double digits over the limit, you don't just get, a, get out of here. You, you have to appear for court later on. And so later on, he actually appeared in court and as he's sitting there, this world-famous pastor, the judge didn't even look up at the convicted Graham. He just said, are you guilty or not guilty? And Graham said, well, I'm, I guess I'm guilty. And the judge replied, well, that's fine. I'm going to fine you $10, a dollar for, for every mile you went over the limit. And suddenly the judge looked up and he recognized the famous pastor who was in his town just a few weeks before with hundreds and thousands of people listening to him. And the judge felt a little guilty. So the judge, a little ashamed, embarrassed, he said, well, Mr. Graham, yes, I, I guess you did violate the law, and, and the fine has to be paid. But he said, look, I'm, I'm going to pay it for you. And Billy Graham says the judge actually pulled out a $10 bill and, and attached it to the ticket. And he even caught up with, with Billy Graham afterwards and said, hey, can, can I go out with you? And he even bought him a steak dinner, the judge did. And Billy Graham, he, he fought back on that moment, and he says that right there, that moment, that is how God treats repentant sinners. That is how God treats repentant sinners. You see, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad it's been, it's not more harmful than God's grace is redeeming and God's grace is transforming. So whether it's through our, our goals or God's grace, let's, let's focus and let's hone in and, and let's make 2021 the year that we are moved closer to, to loving God and loving others more deeply than we ever have before because that right there, loving God and loving others, is where you and I are going to find our purpose in this world. Let's pray. God, we thank you just for the opportunity for second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Just your grace and your love it just gives us more than, we, more than we deserve. 
And you know we need those second chances. And so, God, as we embark on a new year, clearly with no idea what it may hold given the year we've experienced right now, uh, we do know that, that your purpose for us in this world is to love you and the people around us. So give us the strength to grow in these areas as we grow more into the individuals you've created us to be. God, there's a lot of us that, that need your grace in a big way. I know that every single one of us, we need your grace poured out in the, in the bucket loads in varying areas of our life, but, but way, maybe be determined more than ever to, to seek out your grace, be motivated by it, and, and to live the life you've designed us to live. A life that Jesus tells us is focused on loving you and loving others. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.